Thanks also to all of you for coming. This is our last session. Um, we have Phantom McGrath giving a paper on on two ultimately unsuccessful argument or objections to pragmatic encroachment and commenting on it. We have Jane Friedman of Oxford and eventually NYU for 15 minutes. Uh, I think I probably won't even talk for the full 15 minutes. Uh, maybe just say a few things. Um, so the paper, uh, the title tells us a lot about what goes on in the paper. Uh, the main idea is that they, uh, Matt and Jeremy, look at two objections to their view and give responses to it. Before they um, do that, though, they run over some arguments for a kind of key knowledge and action principle that they rely on in getting to an argument for pragmatic encroachment, and then they give an argument for how one moves from that principle to a conclusion that um, <coughs> pragmatic, there is pragmatic encroachment. So uh, I would like to say a lot about those things, but if I do that, I fear that I'll just basically talk the whole time. So I'm going to just cut right to the two objections. Uh, I'll go over what the objections are. I mean, not my objections, the objections that, the, the titled objections, uh, the, unsuc the unsuccessful okay. objections to pragmatic encouragement. <laughs> um, uh, and then I'll say a little bit about a few worries I have. Uh, some of them will take us back to some um, things that they say in their main arguments for kind of pragmatic encouragement generally. And then I'll try and say something about um, a view that they don't want to take on, but say why maybe they should not be so quick to reject it. So the first um, of the two ultimately unsuccessful objections to pragmatic encroachment is one that kind of just got discussed in the last session, which is this state and main case. So just to quickly review, um, just one thing. A feature of both of these examples is that the original sorts of cases that m motivated, I take it, um, them and other people like them to go for a view, views like this um, were these bank cases or these train cases, and in these cases the thought is there are these pairs of subjects, each in different kind of practical circumstances, and then we want to say, oh, that impacts um, whether each knows, right? We keep their uh, epistemic stuff the same, but vary their practical circumstances. So in both of the objections that they look at, we're going to focus on a single subject um, and not two, and they think uh, these call for a special sort of response um, again, I'm not totally sure. So the first state of main case we just saw, so it's supposed to be, you know, here's the subject, she desperately needs to be on Main Street, and she gets to the corner of state and main, and she looks up at the street sign, and it says state of main, and the thought is, whatever we say about the practical stuff, it's so intense that we want to say she can't know that she's on main, right, because so much depends on it, but... That's not the case when it comes to the proposition that she's on state. And so, you know, in some other sort of example, you might want to say she's in the position to know that she's on state. But if we do that, so this is an example they got from Ram Netta. If we do that, then we have the subject looking up at this street sign. She's at the corner of state of Maine. And the result is to say she knows, based on this one piece of evidence looking at the street sign, that she's on state, but she doesn't know that she's on Maine. Ram Netta thinks this is a bad result. And I think Matt and Jeremy basically agree. So that's the first case. Uh, I'm just going to go through both and then talk about them together. The second one is um, what we're to imagine is a single proposition being relevant to two different decisions at the same time, uh, one, that's higher, well, one that's high stakes and one that's low stakes, and then the thought is supposed to be that, well, it looks like we could then get the result that we'll have to say at this exact time the subject 
both knows and doesn't know this single proposition. So they take a case from Baron Reed, and the case there is that uh, you're supposed to be imagining someone in a kind of psychology experiment, and um, they're to answer this question, when was Caesar born? And the subject's really, really confident that it was 100 BC, but not absolutely sure. And then there's going to be kind of two reward scenarios that they have to face, um, and they have to you know, consider the proposition relative to both of these at the same time. So in one case, if, the, if, you, and there's, if you answer correctly, uh, you'll get a jelly bean, and, in the other, and if you answer incorrectly, you'll get a horrible electric shock. Um, and there's no price to be paid for just refusing to answer. And in the second scenario, uh, if you get it right, you get $1,000, and if you get it wrong, you just get a mild slap on the wrist. And so the thought is supposed to be that, you know, we can easily get ourselves into the frame of mind where, um, you know, relative to one of these kind of um, reward uh, profiles, we want to say, you know, the subject knows, and relative to the other, we want to say the subject doesn't. I've left out a lot of details there, but I take a people now how can see how we might get there. Um, so here I have this quote from Baron Reed. He says, a theory that incorporates a practical condition on knowledge would presumably have to say that such a person would both know and not know. <coughs> and I guess that's also a bad result. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> um, I'm happy if it's not. Yeah. Uh, so... The first thing I want to do is just say what I take their response to be, and I think I'm not totally uh, on what I think you, they respond in the same way, which, and I think the response is a modification of their position, and I think it's not totally clear to me how it's supposed to go. So I think this is what the view is, but maybe you could, the kind of first question I'm, I'm putting to you guys is, is whether this is the view, because I'm not totally sure. So I think that they want to say, what they want to say is that um, the standard for knowledge that applies in the highest stakes decision at a time is to apply across the subject's body of belief. Um, so this is in this state and main case, the thought is, you know, um, the, because so much is at stake with the, whether she's on um, main, the standard for knowledge gets pushed way up, and then that's the standard that all the rest of her entire body of belief must meet to count as knowledge at that time. So um, anything that, who's, for which she has less support, she no longer knows at that time. Um, and it seems that they even want to say this, although maybe now I'm pushing too far, but it, I felt like this is what I got out of the paper, right? What's relevant is not the highest stakes decision the subject is actually facing at a time, but the highest stakes decision she could be facing at a time, right? You kind of say this in response to the Jessica Brown worries, where you're like, just the highest stakes decision one could be making. Um, so here's, now we're at kind of my point A here, so, um, so first question, is this, is this right, <coughs> then, then here's a comment is, uh, on the thought that it is. Um, you know, Jessica Brown then worries that, oh, now, you know, we're going to lose a lot of knowledge, maybe skepticism follows. Uh, it's certainly hard to see how we can retain a lot of, at least on one way of reading this thought that it's the kind of... Um, highest stakes decision the subject could possibly be facing, it seems as though there's a, a kind of straightforward way of reading that where it's hard to see how we could know if evidential probability, EP here is evidential probability, or I'm just taking your epistemic, or, or not evidential probability, epistemic probability, or epistemic chance is what you guys talk about. Um, so it's hard to see how we could know when that's less than one, because we could always just um, jiggle with the utilities so that we're these push the standard for knowledge up and up and up. So I just, um, 
my sense is that you somehow want to constrain which possibilities are relevant. So when you talk about the highest stakes decision I could be making at a time, somehow that's not just like saying I could be in some totally different situation with some totally different utility function. I don't, I don't quite know. So one question is just what, am I, what are we supposed to make of this on some straightforward way of reading this? Um, it's hard to see how you could escape as fallibilists. And I think that you guys really want to. In particular, the, the sort of fallibilism they endorse is one according to which um, you can know P even though the epistemic chance that P is less than one. So um, it's a bit hard to see how that can stay in the picture on this view. So the next thing is that I kind of started to worry that um, going this way is going to undermine some of the original motivation we have for pragmatic encroachment, which is this low stakes case, you know, low stakes bank case, high stakes bank case, and stuff like that. So in order for um, us to get pragmatic encroachment out of these cases, we need the low stakes subject to know, right? We need, we need to be the case that that subject knows, but um, it's not clear that you're going to get that anymore because now in order for that subject to know, it has to be that they couldn't possibly be in a higher stakes, making a higher stakes decision um, with respect to any other proposition. Uh, but it's hard to see how that could be possible. So that has to be the highest stakes decision they could make at that time. If there's any higher stakes decision, then they wouldn't know. Um, but it's hard to see how that could be the highest one. It's very low or something like that. Um, and I think just in general, it's hard for me to see why we can keep apart the interpersonal case and the intrapersonal case. So it's not clear why my, merely, my other merely possible decisions should drive the standard for knowledge up, but your decision shouldn't. So, um, if I'm in the low stakes bank situation, I can think about the other guy in the high stakes situation. I think, oh, that guy's, you know, my epistemic peer has all the same evidence that I do, reasoned exactly as I did. We got to the exact same conclusion, but um, I know something and he doesn't know it, something like that. Um, in, I think, you know, that's a way of pushing the worry, but I think the worry is just that I, it's not clear to me why it's not ad hoc to distinguish the interpersonal from the intrapersonal. So I think I'd like to hear more about why we can preserve the high, low bank distinction, but uh, not if it was just me and possible me or something like that, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I, I want to say is that, so they go this route rather than some other that they discuss, which is to genuinely relativize knowledge to a practical context. So in the case of this single proposition being relevant to two different decisions, um, one thing that they talk about is, look, one thing you could do is just say, you know, the subject knows relative to this decision and doesn't know relative to that decision. Um, they don't want to do this, though. Uh, I don't know, I think maybe they just don't like it at all. Uh, it sounds weird. Um, I personally quite like it, at, at, at least because I think it stays truest to the kind of what seems to me the spirit and motivations for the view. We're tying knowledge to these decision contexts or something like that. That's what we're saying here. So I think we should just kind of go for it. Um, but I think what, what I want to say here is that one of the main reasons that you um, don't want to go in for this view, besides the kind of counterintuitive stuff, which I take it you just don't like it anyway, but one of, the, one of the things you say is that it seems to license some kinds of 
little speeches or assertions that sound bad, but also um, that are such that <coughs> the fact that they sound bad plays a key role in your own argument for pragmatic encroachment. So if you take on this relativization view, you license this assertion that you definitely don't want to license because having it be unlicensed is a key in your argument. So here are two. Here are two. One is from a payer by charity. So um, here's one that you guys have. The ship is seaworthy, but while that's true, it might not be true. And if it isn't, which it is, and I don't get the ship inspected, I'll be in real trouble, which I won't. Um, and right, this is from a payer by charity. On the one hand, Ali might come home for dinner, so that's why you can't come over. On the other hand, Ali isn't coming home for dinner, so that's why I'm not making much. Um, <laughs> Something, I mean, like, they don't sound good. <laughs> um, but I'm worried about using them in defense of pragmatic encroachment for a number of reasons. I mean, first is just a kind of very straightforward one about moving from weird first personal assertions to a conclusion in any uh, straightforward, you know, way, which you guys seem to do here, right? It also sounds really weird when I say, um, the ship is seaworthy, but I don't believe that it is, right? But we all know that there's nothing wrong with it being the case that the ship is seaworthy while I don't believe that it is, so um, that these assertions sound bad doesn't seem um, to be enough reason to say that, you know, there's something bad going on uh, with what's asserted. Um, so I think, uh, you know, th and they want to use it to to show that you shouldn't be weighing facts against chances. So on the one hand, P, and on the other hand, might not P. So I think, you know, just in general, that seems way too quick to me. So the other thing, though, is that it seems like what's wrong with these assertions is just the P and might not P part. Um, so there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, kind of, um, on the one hand, X, right? So that's why you can't come over. And on the other hand, Y, so that's why I'm not making much. There's nothing wrong with that. You could fill in that X and Y in lots of ways, and that would be perfectly fine. But if you took out the other part and just left, you know, Ali might come home for dinner. On the other hand, she isn't. Right? That's where things go bad. And it, they go bad in a very familiar way. There's been a lot of ink spilled, especially recently, over what's supposed to be going wrong with P and might not P. Um, so... Uh, and not every story is straightforward. So some people want to say there's a genuine contradiction here. Some people want to say it's pragmatic stuff. So I think um, stuff has to be done to say what the problem with these are. But I think my worry is that you guys endorse a particular kind of fallibilism, a kind of fallibilism that says that um, I can know P uh, despite there being an epistemic chance that not P. So it seems to me that you really don't want P and might not P to come out a contradiction. You want that to be true. Um, so if there's something weird about my saying P and might not P, um, well, you're going to have to explain that away in some other way. So something pragmatic or something like that. Um, there's nothing really bad about uh, that, those combination of things being true of me, right? It can be true that uh, I know and there's an epistemic chance that not P. So I guess I'm kind of worried that then you can't really say, oh, look how bad these assertions sound. We're going to use those to defend pragmatic conclusion because you want these assertions to come out true, at least the bad part of them. So I feel like it's not clear what the force of them could be in your argument. So um, maybe you know, saying a little bit more about that would help. But then also just look, let's say you don't have 
but you're not that, right? You have to take on board these assertions anyway. You're going to interpret them some way that makes them, you're going to say, oh, they sound weird, but strictly they're okay. Um, and so you lose that reason for not relativizing. Uh, is there some other reason that maybe we shouldn't want to relativize? I guess then maybe that's the last no, that's reason. reason. We have seven minutes, so we're each going to go. Um, but I guess that means we don't get 14. Right. Okay. I'll take three and a half. Um, so I thought it might be useful um, in some of um, uh, Jane, your, your uh, written comments, you get questions about the derivation from principle Ka plus fallibilism to pragmatic encroachment. You had some questions there, and I thought it would be useful anyway just quickly go over that derivation. So fallibilism is the view that um, you can know that P is true even if there's a chance that not P. And Ka says, the, kind, the version we use here, um, if you know that P, you can act on it. So how do you get from those two to pragmatic encroachment, which is um, what happens when it's possible for two subjects to be in the same strength of a, have the same strength of epistemic position for a proposition, but differ in whether they're in a position to know it. So if fallibilism is true, then someone knows that P something, even though there's a chance that it's false. So suppose you're someone like that. Um, you are not a ship owner, and you have enough evidence in your low-stake context, say, to know that the ship is seaworthy, but you have just enough evidence to know in your low-stakes context that the ship is seaworthy. Um, so you can act on it, whatever that is in your low stakes context. But because you only fallibly know it, there's a chance the ship isn't seaworthy. And that means there's a possible subject um, uh, for whom the stakes are much higher, who can't act on, on P, or at least for whom that chance can be exploited. Suppose I'm that person. I am a ship owner. Um, I have the same evidence you do that the ship uh, is seaworthy, but because of the stakes for me, in, um, uh, my decision to send the ship out to sea, I can't just act on that. I have to get it inspected first. So um, I can't act um, on the proposition that the ship is seaworthy. So by KA, I don't know it. Now, why don't I know it? Well, the reason I don't know it is, for the, reason, is the same as the reason I can't act on it. Why can't I act on it? It's because there's too great a chance it's not seaworthy. And if it's not seaworthy, given the costs um, I would incur if I sent the ship out to sea with all these passengers on it, um, I can't ignore that chance. So it's the chance that P is false that's standing in the way. I might very well believe the ship is seaworthy, as the ship owner in Clifford's example does. Um, but even if I don't believe the ship is seaworthy, there's at least this thing standing in the way of my sending the ship out to sea. What is it? It's that it's not, that there's too great a chance it's not seaworthy. So it's not just that I can't act on the proposition, it's that the chance that the proposition is false stands in the way of my acting on the proposition. And so given Ka, that means I'm not in a position to know it. It's, it's not just that I don't know it because I don't believe. It's that the chance that I'm wrong stands in the way of my knowing it. So, um, so I'm not in a position to know it, even though you are, and we have the same strength of epistemic position um, with respect to that proposition. So that's pragmatic encroachment. So that's how you get from the two um, <coughs> premises to the conclusion. Now, about these objections, so I'll talk about one really quickly because I have 22 more seconds. Um, <laughs> Mine's quick, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is, uh, so uh, I think, Jane, uh, you're right that we say the standards for knowledge that apply in the high stakes decision at a time should apply to the subject's entire body of beliefs at that time. We don't, we definitely 
definitely do not say the second thing. I mean, we don't want to. I think I know the paragraph that would have led you to that. Um, um, and I, I, I think it's my fault for putting that paragraph in. Maybe we try, I tried to be all cagey in that paragraph and then answer it later on, but I think it just, it just didn't come through. So when you, um, uh, P has to be, to know P, P has to be, um, you have to be able to act on P. P has to have the warrant that's required to justify you in acting in the highest stakes decision you're actually facing. Now, if there's some other possible high-stakes decisions you could be making, if, um, if in some other possible world you're facing a higher-stakes decision, it, do it doesn't have to be warranted enough to justify you in doing that, the things that are involved in that decision. It just has to be involved, uh, warranted enough to justify you in doing the things that are involved in your actual high-stakes decisions. Um, and so, because I don't think we are routinely in the sorts of high-stakes situations that require such a high degree of evidence that we don't routinely have it for the things we ordinarily take ourselves to know, I think we can still get a lot of our knowledge. So I think um, the first two words, A and B, uh, kind of are predicated on that, and I, I, we, are, we don't want to say that, and we deny that. So I'll leave that. Okay, so I just want to mention two other of her objections and quick replies to them. So the first had to do with these sorts of speeches, sort of absurd speeches that uh, we used in reply to charity and Baron Reed, and also similar speeches were used to defend key premises in the argument for pragmatic encroachment, in the argument for the knowledge action link. <coughs> I just want to say a bit about those in her objection. So here's the sort of speech we use in the argument for the knowledge action link. Uh, to, it's, it's a speech to defend the claim that if you have something as a reason then it has enough warrant to be the winning reason to justify you. Right. That's, that's just why we bring this in. Uh, so, speech. Um, on the one hand, the ship might not be seaworthy, and if we take it out and it's not, that would be disastrous. On the one hand, it might not be, things would be bad. That's a reason not to loan it out. On the other hand, the ship is seaworthy, and that's a reason to loan it out. Which one is more important? That it might not be, and that would be bad if we loaned it out, or that it is. We thought that was an absurd sort of speech. You're not disagreeing with that. Okay, and so <coughs> she notes it's a first-person speech, uh, and one should be generally reticent or hesitant to uh, draw conclusions about what's true based on the absurdity of a first-person speech, and that seems right. She also notes uh, aptly that if you make that speech, you're in effect, one of the things you're saying is something in the form P and it might not be the P, right? So on the one hand, it might not be that the ship is seaworthy, and more things come. And on the other hand, it is. So that's, it might not be the, the P and it is, right? And, and we all know that maybe there's something absurd about saying that P, but it might not be that P. But it's not because P implies that it has to be that P. It's not a semantic uh, absurdity. And uh, our reply here, and yeah, is is just to say, let's look at ver let's compare the two, look at various tests one have one has for determining whether something's pragmatic or semantic. I'm not saying these are always going to work, but. Uh, 
So here are the various tests. So if it's pragmatic, you would imagine that if you put it in the third person, then uh, it might not seem absurd anymore. So P, but it might not, might uh, be for S, but not P. So P, but it might be for Jeremy, and not P. Perfectly fine. Right. P, but it might not be for me, and not P. It's not fine. Right. So that's that just confirms, and you, you can try uh, past tense, first person past tense. So those confirm that this is indeed not a semantic absurdity. But if you do this for our speeches, I think they stay bad. Right. So you put it into a third person speech. So. Uh, so uh, among, I say these, but uh, among Clifford's reasons is that the ship is seaworthy. That's a reason he has to loan it out. Another one of his reasons is that for him, it might be that it's not seaworthy. That's a reason he has not to loan it out. Which one is more important for him, that it is seaworthy? or that it might not be. I think you get the same puzzle. I think you can get it in the past tense. I start talking about my reasons in the past. Um, so in the past, um, among my reasons was the ship was seaworthy, and that was a reason to loan it out. Among my reasons was it might not for me then be seaworthy, and that was a reason not to loan it out. Which one is more important then? Just as bad. Right? So I think these, and I think you can do a counterfactual and so on. So I think these are evidence that certainly it's different than P, but it might not be the P, and I think there's evidence that it's, it's a, a genuine um, absurdity, contradictory. Okay, so that's our response to that, and then finally, very quickly, is it ad hoc to accept sort of intra-subjective purism, but not an inter-subjective purism? So, uh, so there's one standard that set by the highest stakes decision that I must meet in order to know internally, but somehow go from person to person, and there's different steps. Is that ad hoc? Um, and I don't have uh, maybe <coughs> as satisfying an answer as I'd like, I'd like to, but here's one thing. You might think that what I know ought to be usable in all my decisions. That seems very plausible. It seems very implausible initially to think what I know. There's, these further assumptions had to be made. What I know, uh, if I know P, then somehow P's got to be usable for you. We need further arguments for that, and I think the arguments can involve testimony, and it's going to be messy. And it, so I'm not saying it's obvious that that's not true, but it's not as obvious that it, that is true as I think it's as it, in the case of the first person. Second, um, final point, um, she's Jane's certainly right. When I start think, if I'm in a low stakes case and I start thinking about somebody in a high stakes case, it's going to seem sort of odd. So they don't know. I've got the same evidence. I know, uh, and. That's certainly right that that seems odd. I think, not that this, this is not going to solve the problem, but just to point out that many views have this sort of problem. John's pointed this out. In terms of you get similar puzzling kinds of statements for the Gettier problems. So here I am going around the countryside in the American Midwest, and I see a barn, and I get to say, I know it's a barn, but the guy who's in fake barn country looking at the only barn, he doesn't know it's a barn. That seems pretty bad too. We need some explanation of why that's bad, um, but presumably we all agree that that would be true. Either that, or it's become false for contextual reasons. So whatever story, hopefully, one might give there, we could use in our case. At least that's that's a possibility. So.
questions? John. Just one thing about the the unrestricted infection picture. If you if you use practical adequacy, if you don't use practical adequacy, I mean, I, I don't understand. I don't really non understand the view properly. But uh, I mean, it, well, I never use fallibilism as a prim. Uh, that, 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 okay. Let me just use practical adequacy, okay? That, that, then I'll just tell you how it works with that, and then maybe you okay. think, well, you want to distance yourself more. You know, go, go back to my case. You know, an indifference case, nothing to do with stakes. Uh, you know, you've got two bowls of ice cream. You're indifferent between them. You're 0 0.999, the one's guy, one's ice cream. You're 0.999, the other's ice cream. You're practically inadequate because, as it is, you're indifferent, but conditional on... If you, if you just apply the decision-theoretic framework that I was describing and Jeff was describing, uh, conditional on the left one having ice cream, you ought to prefer the left. That's just how the, that's how the decision theory will play itself out. If you then combine that with uh, global infection, basically, in any case where you're indifferent between a couple of bowls of ice cream, uh, you're going to have to have amazing... That, that already, it's not like, you know, you don't have to... No, no DeRose high-stake bank. Just, any, just something as mundane as that will then have very powerful sceptical ripples around your belief system, uh, as it were. And then... That seems to me a lot more... What's that? The proposition, this is ice cream? Yeah. And what can't I do on that basis? Prefer... Well, I'm, I'm just remind how it, you know, as it is, you're indifferent between the two bowls. Suppose you've got to re grab the one bowl and grab the other, but conditional on the left one having ice cream, uh, you ought to prefer reaching to the left one. That's how the decision theory will work out. Because if you conditionalize on A having ice cream, basically the conditionalized update is one where you're certain the left has, your 0.999 the right has, and you, uh, if you just calculate out the, the decision theory, you, you, you know, so it'll be practically inadequate. So I just want to remind, if, if you really ran with pr practical adequacy and you ran with the, uh, the unrestricted infection view, then you're likely to have massive skeptical ripples all the time going on. So that, that's just how it will work, that, partic that particular model. Then you might back off from practical, but that's just, that's just how it's going to work. And, and I, I feel that then that's much more damaging than the, the, sort, the sort of thing that you are envisaging, that you seem to be envisaging. You know, that, that level of skeptical ripple. No, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I'm not sure what to say other than that we're not operating with that that view anymore. I mean, that was that was the 2002 view. It really was the 2002 view. Uh, but we're operating with the reasons picture, and I know it gets mushier. It gets mushier. <laughs> but, but, but I think argument from the, 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 the yeah, argument. Yeah. That I, I, we can come back to. Yeah, I, I I just thought it was good to see that you know. How, how the infection views work with practical adequacy, and it's, it's, it's super skeptical. There was you know, something else on that, like our old test, we don't want to get into all the, maybe all the tests for when a proposition was warranted enough, but the old test was the adequacy test. That is, jack it up 
jack the proposition exactly. probability up to one and now consider what is the rational thing to do yeah. conditionally on that compared to the rational thing in fact. And so you would be indifferent in the original case and you prefer the one and the other. <laughs> Therefore, you wouldn't know the proposition that this is ice cream. Yeah, that's true. That is that, but we now think that that's actually not, well, we don't accept that test, but the idea that you would see whether a proposition was probable or warranted enough by raising it to one now seems to us to be mistaken. What you really want to do is you ask, it has a certain probability as it is. Now, take that probability, fix other factors, does it justify? Right? Because you want to know, is this, is this proposition with its warrant sufficient to justify? And it now seems to us to be a mistake to ask what happens if it's perfect. We don't have to get into all the various tests, but that, that's... You can come back yeah. like that. Charity has a follow-up. Yeah, that's right. I'm not understanding. I'm thinking even with what you say about reasons, you do have the practical adequacy test, because when you say that if weakness and epistemic strength stands in your way, that's just the practical adequacy test. When weakness stands in your way, it means that given your actual yeah, epistemic position, do this thing, but if you had a little more, then you would do Take your actual, I'm sorry, but go ahead. <laughs> take, your, take, your, take your actual probability, so no jacking to one. Right? That was key to his, yes. his example. No jacking to one. Take your actual uh, probability, and then you know, everything's connected appropriately. There's a practical <clears throat> And it looks like um, that will justify being indifferent. But there's no, there's no comparison with it. Yeah. When you say strength of or weakness in abstinent position stands in the way, I'm understanding that in terms of the Tell me how to understand that if it's not in terms of the practical Okay, it's yeah. what, it, what I said before, and that is, I mean, I know it's not, it's not the kind of yeah, clear test it. in terms of um, jacking the probability to one and making comparison. That's the adequacy test, and I agree that, that uh, that's not a good test. I, I think intuitively it's not the right test. Right? What, is its warrant sufficient to justify? We're not, you don't want to compare its warrant with a perfect warrant. You want to take its warrant, <coughs> all of the relevant connections are in place. Does it succeed in justifying? That's, that's the idea. Um, and so you, there's no comparison with perfect warrant, which is what's driving you. So, so can I just take the ice cream, just, just quick? I mean, suppose someone reason like this. That's got ice cream. That might not, not have. Uh, so I, I, I better go for that one. Now, in that situation, that seems a bit messed up, the reasoning. Well, when it's 0.99 for yeah, both. Yeah, it's 0.99 for both. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly true, the second premise. The other might not. So, so you're supposed to, to figure out whether this is... Um, I'm a little scared about going this route, but um, uh, to figure out whether um, uh, you should be acting on P, so in this case, whether P is justifying you in preferring this bowl of ice cream to this one, which seems weird to do, since you have, right? uh, you should be indifferent between the two, to see whether it's the chance that P is false that's standing in, in the way of you preferring it, you're supposed to, on the old test, um, jack the probability to one, keeping everything else relevant to whether P justifies you constant. But here's something else that, Here's, here's what's distinctive about your, this ice cream case. Your, new, your evidence is neutral between, uh, not neutral. You, um, it's a tie for you whether these two things are bowls of ice cream. And so you have to keep that crucial element fixed. I'm a little worried about this because, when, um, I, 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 well, for various reasons. But um, 
And so if you keep that fixed, that you are equally certain that this other thing is also a bowl of ice cream, then, when, then you have to keep that factor fixed. And so when you jack this to one, you've got to keep fixed that this, you're equally sure that this other bowl is a bowl of ice cream. I mean, you've got to have probability one that it's a bowl of ice cream too. And now you shouldn't be preferring, you shouldn't be preferring one to the other. Right. You should still be indifferent. So even jacking this to one, keeping everything else fixed, doesn't get this to justify I mean, you. Put it like this, when I'm certain that the one's on the left, it is okay to go to say, that's got ice cream, that might not, okay. There is something epistemically standing in the way of going through that reasoning in this case, intuitively. No, because in this case, you're not... Here's what the guy does. That's got ice cream, that might not, and goes with that. Let's no. suppose that's what the guy does. Now, no, was no, that... The guy should not do that. Was that? And now, why not? Was there something epistemically because in the way of him using those premises? Or no, were no, the no, premises no. fine? It's, it's that there's another choice that's equal... That with, because with, with because, premise, there's, yeah. because there's another choice that is yeah. kind of equally well supported. It's not that there's too great a chance this is false. It's that there's another choice that's just as good. And that's why you should be indifferent between the two. And even if this had probability one and there were another choice that's as good, you should still be indifferent. And were the premises fine of that piece of reasoning? Was it fine then to use those premises? Because yeah, that's ice cream too, so there's a defeater. So what's that? That's ice cream The premises too. were, that's good ice cream, that might not. Has anything gone wrong yet in the reasoning? <coughs> oh, I, I think you can just say... <coughs> A and B, you get to you get to get to use both. That A has ice cream, and so does B. That's true that it might not be, but it's we think you can't have both reasons at once. That is, you can't weigh them in a way that one could possibly one one's a serious contender to the other. So the thought is those are kind of dismissible. Maybe they're tiny reasons, but they're dismissible. That. I think that's what we even want to say. In yeah, I mean, the, the premises are fine. It's just that when you're going through this reasoning, you're ignoring these kind of the, obvious de like the defeaters things. for that reasoning. So Namely, that this also has ice cream, for example. I, got, I, got, I, I shouldn't get going. I've got two follow-ups on this, possibly three. So Jeff and then Kian, and then we'll see. Okay, Kian. Was there a follow-up? Yeah, <clears throat> In the case where you, so I just want to understand how what you were saying to John applies to the case where you make one of them 0.998 and one of them 0.999. So one one version of you would say, so so I'm looking at the test, like at the second page of your appendix. So there's a question in that in that case. So suppose that you in fact go for the 0.998 out of slight. Carelessness, or, you know, and the, the way that the people sometimes do. So there's a question: uh, Is you know, is, is 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 anything standing in the way of the fact that that one has ice cream in it, justifying you in eating it? Uh, sorry, in other words, is uh, are you th so, so one version of you would say that's fine. You are justified in taking the the that that one, and so I can understand how if you're saying that kind of thing. Then, insofar as you're just rejecting the decision theoretic model of justification altogether, you're saying you're, you're going for something more like satisfying. You're just like, yeah, there's this other thing you could have done, higher epistemic utility. Yeah. Eh, you're totally justified. I can see how that's really going to pull the results of the new version apart from the, the results of particle practical adequacy. Is that, is that what you're saying? Sure. Okay, so uh, and on the other hand, if, if you want to stick with standard decision theory and say, no, you're, you should have gone for the one that's even more certain. Then I can't see how anything in the new thing is 
trying to change the, uh, the results. Of, it's going to give a different answer than practical adequacy. So, so you are going to be, it, given global infection, then that is going to jack up the threshold for you at that moment to the high number. So I think, I think if you want to say something distinctively better, it better involve this anti-decision theory point that sometimes you're, you're totally justified in taking the action with slightly less than the maximal. Which is relevant to the free double checking. Yeah, yeah. it's yes. relevant too, but it, yeah, I think that, yeah. Should, should we just clarify that, it doesn't affect this point, but so there's the practical, a practical adequacy test, which was sort of our original paper. And then in the book, we have a raising to one test. It's not quite a practical adequacy test. I think you were talking about this. So you're supposed to, in determining whether the thing is warranted enough, raise it to one and keep all, all fa other factors relevant to whether it justifies fixed. And I think what Jeremy's saying, one factor relevant to whether it's justified is how good a competing reasons you have on the yeah. other side. Yeah. Was that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, we've got what, last follow-up on this and then a new question. Julian? Uh, yeah, it was just about the... This has ice cream, this might have ice cream. I mean, suppose there are two ice creams on one side and on the other side, one ice cream and a pile of gold. If you reason, there are two ice cream there, one ice cream there, so I take the two ice cream, then you make a mistake because you forgot this relevant premise. And so I don't understand why they couldn't answer in the same way here, saying like, there was this relevant premise that there is also ice cream there that just forgot. So um, here's a sort of argument for pragmatic encroachment that I like. It's, it's one that um, you know, s says uh, there's a certain cognitive goal that we're evaluating you against epistemically, and it's you know, the two-part believe truths, avoid errors um, sort of thing. So uh, when there's high cost of errors, you, know, you, you guys say the, the standards go up. I like that. Um, uh, but you know, th there's other cases where the costs of failing to have a, a true belief um, are, are high, but it's relatively little cost for, you know, for, for having a false false belief. Um, so I am worried that this this global, uh, you know, the, the global infection principle now just just takes that one part of the goal and makes it um, uh, the the void errors part, and it's protecting you against that, but you know, kind of at all costs. So you know that when you're in the high high stakes case. Um, "Quote unquote," right? So, um, you know, th then your your threshold goes up for everything, right? But now you can't say, you know, now your wife comes to you and says um, says something, and you think your evidence is pretty high for that, but she asks you if you believe it, and you think, well, I should only believe things that I know. So, sorry, I, I'm in a high stakes <laughs> situation now, so I, I, I don't believe it, right? But it seems I liked, um, you know, one thing I liked about the view was that it. it uh, you know, allowed you to kind of go up and down above some minimum threshold, right? So, um, so what is the what is the value of the well, did you have like so what what is the fact that there might be some good in, you, you 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 like the thought that the view allowed you to have it sounds like to have pragmatic reasons for belief. Well, I, I don't know. Or that, or that allowed pragmatic reasons to believe to contribute to your justification for believing. So if you had this, if there was some positive, I think, I wouldn't think, well, yeah. Well, I mean, one thing it might allow you to do is if, you're, if your standards are way too high, we can kind of say, 
we can criticize you for that too, right? So if you're, you know, just demanding certainty on everything, um, yeah. you know, we could we could say, well, hey, you're you know you're above this threshold, and actually it's not such a bad thing to believe a falsehood, and you ought to go for it, right? So, uh, but yeah, it's it's that sort of. Yeah, so it's that sort of thing that I'm, I'm worried about because now you get pushed up and there's the rising tide. When you're in the, the high stakes case. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it, so it's, it's, about, it's about knowledge, right? Not, not justified belief. I mean, we have these other principles that connect to justified okay. belief, which we, we could then try to defend. But, um, so this paper is about knowledge, and I, I guess I don't see why. Um, I, mean, I guess I, I would just stick, stick to the reasons why. I think that um, when the standards rise on one prop proposition, it's going to rise on, on these other ones. So you say, well, yeah, I know that um, um, this thing my partner told me is true, um, even though, say, that your partner told you wouldn't be enough to justify you in finding this other case. And um, so then, well, if you know it's true, then um, it's got to, um, if you tried to reason from that to others, to to this decision, um, where would you have gone? Where would you go wrong in that? Where, where would we where would we say you were going wrong? And it wouldn't just be in the connection. We'd also say it was going wrong because it didn't have enough evidence to be employed in that reasoning process. Because if you tried to employ it, you know, it's got no more evidence than this thing, which shouldn't be employed in that reasoning process. So, like, I. I mean, so the result might be kind of unpalatable, but I think when it comes to most of the things we know, um, most of the things we say we know, the evidence is actually much higher than, than that, um, than the evidence that's conferred just from the say-so. And, and you know, when, you're, when your partner tells you something, I mean, sometimes it's, a, sometimes it's got a, a huge evidential support, and sometimes it's kind of not so much, um, depending on what sort of thing they're telling you. And, um, I think sometimes that evidence can be really, really high, even for the really high-stakes kind of decisions we're, we're facing all the time. Yeah, but in the, in the case where a particular, you know, where the, a, a proposition is you know, relevant to your actions, right, <coughs> then, then the, the stakes, you, you don't consider other propositions, right, because they're just not relevant to this action, right? They're relevant to this action, the standards go way up. I, I just don't see why you can't... Well, I mean, I see the counterexamples uh, and, and why there's oddities about, about the language, right? But, but it just seems more principled to, to just take it case by case and say, yeah, but, you know, that high stakes situation I'm in, that just has nothing to do with, um, with believing my wife right now, right? And um, so I had to go with the stakes that are relevant to this, this decision. I, I see that. Um, just to... to repeat what he's saying, consider the uh, reasoning in the state Maine case, right? Maine is the important decision. Uh, I'm on Maine so I can stop looking for Maine. Right? And that's, that's a bad piece of reasoning. No, I'm looking to do that. And it's because the premise is not warranted enough. Right? You need more justification. That's, that's what we're saying. And now imagine that the person's for some reason a bad reasoner and they stick, I'm on state as their reason. Now it just seems odd. That, oh well, you're fine as far as your warrant for that, but now the issue is the connection. It's like no, it's, it's this has the same warrant. You're not fine. You're, you have two problems, not just one. The warrant for the premise isn't enough, and the connection is not bad. We just don't like. I think what we, we don't like is the idea that uh, taking uh, an 
irrelevant proposition that has exactly the same probability of swapping it out for the relevant one could suddenly make the inference good in one way that it, it wasn't before. Be yeah. And I think that's part of it. Charity. Um, yeah, so one thing you really quick, I mean, I, I do think that the way you phrased him's dialogue here sounds absurd, but you know, I don't think that's how he would, he would put his situation. So I think he would say something like, well, not making much dinner because Ali's not coming home until late, but uh, well, I'm sorry I can't invite you over because you might come home early and that'd be a disaster or you know, something like that. So I think that's what. That sounds bad here. She's not coming home till late, but she might come home early. Because she's not coming home till late, but yeah, I'd invite you over. But if she came home early, it'd be such a disaster. I mean, there's just different ways of saying. If if you start with uh, P and go to it might not be that P, that doesn't seem nearly as bad as it might not be that P. Now you're going to go to P, and then you freely go back and forth between the two with no tone of vacillation. It gets a little odd. On the one hand, he's going to be here. For dinner. On the other hand, he might not. Um, and but you keep weighing these up. But, but he is. No, yeah. I yeah, I agree. Yeah, but that it's true fine. that you can say it in such a way that it's uh, fine, and it really has to. I think I think it has to start with P, and then later you get to it might not be that P. But if you start remembering that you know you're still up for P, you haven't retracted on P, and you said P, and that's one consideration. It might not be the P, that's another, which is more important. But you want to be able to say that if one reason could defeat the other. Well, but, but yeah. yeah, I guess, I mean, like James said, I think these consensus knowledge attributions are tricky, and there's a lot to, there's a lot to say about them. And I, and I agree that I think this is a point at which, like, your view comes out a little more intuitive, and there's, you know, cost to all of these. So, I, yeah, so yeah. just say that. I just wanted to point out that I think we do, I think we do reason that way, and then there are things that we, can say that sounds very natural, I think, when we are reasoning that way. So just think that's the kind of position I'm imagining that Chen is in. So I, we do say things, right, like, I mean, so these are the kinds of statements. So we, we, we will assert something, and then we'll say, but you know, maybe, it's not, maybe it's not that way. So we'll say, I turned the water off, but you know, just in case, I'm going to go back in and check. So we say these things, and they can sound okay. But the question is, what's going on in them? And I, I guess what um, we'd like to say is that when you say these things, you are pulling back or retracting. So, and if you're not retracting, then these weighing statements should sound okay, and they don't, right? So the ones we put should sound okay if you're not retracting. It should be perfectly fine. <coughs> but they don't sound okay. So this, this makes us think that when you make statements like, P, but it might not be that P, you're kind of pulling back or retracting. And what, there's further evidence for this. Um, for example, when you say P, but it might not be that ca the case that P, you can't then write, reassert P, right? So you can't say, I turned the water, I, I did turn the water up, but you know, just in case, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back in and check, but I did turn the water off. I mean, it, you're sounding like you're vacillating when you do that kind of thing, or trying to, and why would you do this? Well, because you're trying to kind of bolster yourself or um, you're trying to kind of try out how it feels to kind of assert P and realize it didn't, didn't really stick. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons you might, you might do this. Yeah. Well, I, I don't and actually think they're all retraction cases, but about the reverse thing, what, what do you think of this? What if he's sitting there and he's thinking about the option of inviting his brother over? I think, oh, I better not do that. That would be such a disaster if she came home early. And then his mom calls 
And he says to her, well, I'm not making much for dinner tonight because Allie's not coming home until late. That's or does he have to actually say in the same sentence? I mean, I mean there's all sorts of But if, if one reason is defeating the other, why can't you just weigh them up explicitly? Right? That's what's going on in these cases, right? That one consideration about the chance of error is, is supposed to be defeating the other reason. So can't you just put them together, smack together, and ask which one's more important? That's what well, I, I think, think you ought to be able to do. Yeah, but I think when we're yeah. weighing reasons, we're not thinking of P as, as having probability one. So. I'm not thinking that we're not, when we use... We, we well, I know you're not. For other reasons, for other reasons there's no problem, right? When I write, I'm thinking when I write down P on my reasons column, I'm not forgetting about the fact that I'm a fallibilist and there's a chance that not P. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to deny that, but... But then when I use P to, to decide what actions to do, I might use it to do one thing and, you, and not use it to do the other thing because I remember that there was that chance. I mean, shouldn't she do that if she's rational? If you know she's a fallibilist, isn't that exactly a good thing to do? No, because there's an important thing that having a reason marks out, namely that you get to use it. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is to have it. You need to keep track of its improbability in your credences and so on. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, hopefully you don't have to have probability one to use a reason. But you are thinking that when I have a reason, I can sort of like act like an yeah. So yeah, so we're helping. This is help for the for the fallibilist, right? So you might think going fallibilist is going to commit you to saying, well, now nah, I can't be weighing reasons the way infallibilists do anymore. And we say, no, 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 you can. This is this. Yeah. So this is. So we, we can have all the same constraints on weighing reasons that we intuitively think we have. Just because you go fallibilist doesn't mean you can't. You have to start weighing these reasons bizarrely against these other kinds of reasons in, in, in these kind of weird ways. Here's, here's what it takes to keep weighing reasons the way we always thought weighing reasons um, was. It takes pragmatic encroachment. And we do want to keep this, this, these views about how we weigh reasons and what it is, what we can do with reasons when we have them. Um, and when you keep that and you keep fallibilism, you get pragmatic encroachment. So there's just, I, yeah. It's not like once you, once you accept fallibilism, you've got to give up all this stuff. You don't. And, yeah. I, mean, I, I share, oh, sorry. Okay. I mean, I share Charity's intuition there. Um, I'm wondering, maybe there's an easier solution when we um, like use something other than P to get the result. Maybe there's an easier response, but I thought I'd try it anyway. Let's just say like, I might Q, and Q is like, I might die tomorrow, like randomly of a heart attack. And this seems like it implies that it might be the case that I won't be, you know, at home for dinner tomorrow. But I also still think that I will be home for dinner tomorrow is a good reason to invite my brother over. And it seems I can felicitously, felicitously say both I might cue, um, which implies I might not pee and assert pee at the same time. Um, but cue, of course, implies not pee. I mean, is there a is there a different solution to that, or is that present the same problem of charity? And if that charity presents. Well, we think that sentence can be true, <coughs> right? That um, um, I might die. The sentence you express when, when you say, I might die tomorrow, what, what is I might die tomorrow, but I'll be home for dinner? Right. So we think the, sen the proposition that sentence expresses can be true. Even though the first part implies that you might not the second part, right? Like, so you might die <laughs> in the next five minutes, but I will be home for dinner tomorrow. Yeah, so I mean, if you initially followed that, you know, by saying, but so I might not be home for dinner tomorrow, but 
but I, but I will be. That also sounds, that yeah, sounds like it might be fine too. Yeah, well, we think those are true. So. Right, so we don't have any problem with, I mean, it's hard sometimes to say, but P, but it might not be that P, right? We think those things can be said kind of in a difficult way. You gotta stress that it's not an important okay. possibility and that sort of thing, but what we were concerned to deny that is that P, that the chance of not P could be a significant one, one that uh, could matter to your action, your decision about what to do. And we think, it, you know, yes, it, it can be the case that I know no P and I know that there's some chance of not P, but I can't, we're looking at, uh, you can't have, I, I know P, that's a reason to do this. And it might not be that P, and that's a real reason not to do this this thing. So that they could actually weigh, weigh up in such a way that the second one could actually win. At least both, at least both Q and um, Q, which implies not P, and P could both be motivations for actions, right? And that P could be a reason for inviting your brother over, and Q could be a reason for getting a certain sort of health insurance or something. Yeah. So this is like DeRose's case. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Right. So DeRose is so the walk, uh, the walking talker. You got, I can't remember. Right. Yeah. So might be Jane. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So yeah. In, in that case, um, uh, well, if you're actually being offered this special life insurance, which is going to pay this huge amount if you die in the next 24 hours, um, then um, that's going to be a different stake situation than the one you're actually in. Right. So, okay. right. so you want to say the stake situation shifts between when you're talking about Q, even though that implies not, not when you're talking about it, when you're actually offered a, sure, a okay. real policy that you could buy right now. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think it would have to, I, can, I don't know what the payoffs would have to be for, to make me buy it. Um, okay because I'm really sure I'm not going to die in the next five minutes. <laughs> I'm inviting like some, um, some ambitious philosophers. I will falsify you this at all costs. I think just as a, a quick follow-up, I mean, you, I feel like in response to, to charity, you were saying like, look, we really want to keep this thing that we really like about weighing reasons, but I don't know what, what that thing even was. So. I didn't. I don't really like that. I mean, it seems to me to be that I can have reasons that get out. I mean, if my credence of 0.4 in P can be a reason to do something, mm -hmm. and it can be outweighed by some other. Yeah. yeah. By my the reason not P provides, then my credence 0.6. So I don't see what this this in the background. There's this idea that we want to do this thing with reasons, but I don't. Well, the, but the, in that case, you're not weighing P against <coughs> against not P. I mean, suppose someone oh, pays. Well, suppose someone pays to say, look, if you take this bet. I'll um, give you $100 if the coin comes up heads and, I'll, and, um, and it costs you $110 if it comes up tails. You're not going to reason like this. On the one hand, the coin will come up heads, so that's a reason to take the bet. On the other hand, the coin will come up tails, so that's a reason not to take the bet. What you're going to say is, well, it's got a 0.5 chance of coming up heads, and then you do some math, and then the 0.5 chance of coming up tails, and then you kind of, and so it, in these cases, it's, uh, it's facts about the chances of heads and tails. I mean, that's right. something you could say, but that's yeah. not what I said. I said I have a credence. I yeah. don't have a belief yeah. about chances. I have a credence of 0.4. It's P, it's in P, yeah. and that's what's relevant yeah. to my delivery. So you're right. I don't say so, I don't say but P is that, or something but is that else. The coin will come, but is that the coin will come up heads a reason to to take the bet? It's weighed by my that I, I have a certain credence in it. So it's when you say it that way, it sounds like it's something that I know and I'm sure about. So you're saying no, P. No, it's not that you know. It's just it's, it's not that P. You're sure it's, my, it. it's my attitude towards P. It's, it's so this kind of attitude. Reasons and are propositions. Are you okay with that? All right. When we ascribe reasons, you know, his reason for doing it was yeah. that P. No, 
Okay, was that, that's, not, important. Have, that's important to this. Be, and then what's the proposition that, you need to, that you're weighing in these cases? And it certainly doesn't seem to be. It's P. And it has a certain weight that's applied uh, by my, my degree weight, of belief. Weighing is a sense of measuring which one is more important. So when we're weighing reasons, what we're do, what the, I guess the way we think about it is when you're weighing reasons, you take a proposition which favors a certain act or state, and you might weigh it against another proposition which favors a different act and state, and you weigh them because in the sense of you're figuring out which one's more important. You can also weigh probabilistic propositions against each other, and that's a different thing. But there's something distinctive about the activity we engage in when we weigh non-probabilistic facts against each other. So I guess my suggestion is that there's a third thing. So there's the proposition itself, and it's weighed. It's not a probabilistic proposition. It's just a proposition, and it can you do the thing you said. But it's also going to be additionally weighted by the degree to which you believe it. And so that's going to you know tell you something else about how strong a reason it is. How likely are you to achieve your goal if you act on P? Well, that depends in part on how probable you think P is. And it depends on some other things. It's just a, adding a, an additional element that doesn't assume that to, to take P to be a reason. I have to treat it as fact or something like that. But that just doesn't seem to be what we're doing when we're deciding whether to take this bet on the coin. We're in, I, it's a, I don't feel like I'm weighing it's going to come up heads against it's going to come up tails. Even with those propositions kind of with some markers of their weight, I'm weighing different things against each other. But when I'm deciding whether to take the umbrella and the, and the forecaster says it's got a 40% chance of rain, it's not like I'm thinking, well, let's see, that it's going to rain is a reason for me to take my umbrella, but it's weighted to this degree. I'm waiting, I'm, I'm taking, there's a 40% chance of rain, so maybe wonder if I should take my umbrella. Um, and that's different from the case in which I've actually gone out into the rain, it's pouring down on me, and then I'll say, oh, it's raining, I'm going to go get my umbrella. It's not, and there I'm not taking the proposition it's weighted, it's not the same process, but now weighted to certainty. It's, I'm taking this, a different proposition as my reason in that case. That, I mean, that's how it feels to me, but I guess it, it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> I mean, so. Jeremy. So, uh, you guys think the, quote, uh, you, don't, you don't see a strong enough argument that in the kind of run-of-the-mill high-stakes cases that Brown says we're routinely in, the degree of support required for a proposition to be used in practical reasoning becomes so high as to include a significant amount of knowledge. So, I don't know, it would really suck if there's a trap door below my chair and it's going to open up and I'm going to fall into a pit of crocodiles and be eaten alive. Um, good thing I'm damn sure that won't happen. Um, <laughs> there's all this kind of unsalient things where it seems like, you know, there's really high downside risk that's just, we don't think about very much, but it's there. Um, and we can ignore it because we have just incredibly um, high epistemic position that those things won't happen. So I, I, I agree that the particular things that Brown was talking about in the, you know, quitting your job or ending your relationship kind of thing, might, that might not be high enough stakes, but, you know. Are we routinely in higher stakes? I was thinking right, right now, I'm using the proposition that there is no such trap door uh, as a reason for not getting up. I mean, as a decision, I, you know, I, could, I could get up and move, so, so as to avoid. But I don't think getting up, you're to get up is a high stakes decision. 
I'm not, sorry, I'm not, I'm not getting up. Sorry, my, my decision whether to get up is not a high stakes. Yeah, I don't think so right now. Do, do you feel like you're not? <laughs> but the important thing is it's a very, very strong epistemic position which is justifying him in not getting up right now. And a less strong one would not so justify him. That's sorry. the important thing. Yeah, if I, if I was only like 0.8 that, if, if I could only be rationally 0.8 there was no trapdoor, then I don't know what a high stakes situation is, but like I wouldn't be able to use the proposition that there's no the trap door to keep sitting down. So we think changing the probabilities and whether there's a trap door there is going to change is going to change your stakes. That's what we say right at toward the end of the appendix, um, and that's why it's relevant that when I I mean look, there's stuff to say about stakes that we don't know <laughs> what to say because it's a problem. Um, but that's why it's. It's, it's relevant that it's a higher stakes decision whether to cross the street for me here than it is in Canada. But, but the, the, thing, the, the thing, exactly, the thing doesn't have anything, the, the relevant issue isn't one about stakes. The relevant issue is one about strength of epistemic position. I, I took it, right? The, and, and the thought was that if, if you're, there's something that you're relying on, in order to rely on it, you had to be at a certain level, then, and that's what's going on right now, then I've got to be at that level for a whole bunch of other unrelated things. I think I'm at that level. Kind of there's also complications about, you know, there's a trap door, and then there's, I don't know, a room with soft pillows and candy and so forth and underneath. So, yeah. you know, you get those. And that there'll, <laughs> also, also there might be a saw blade no, that's going to hurtle through the room at head level in two seconds. So if you stand so up, you might get in big trouble, there. too. So if you, if you stand up, you might get hit by the saw blade that's about to hurtle through the room at head level. So that's He's not saying you're not at that level. He's saying that the requirement to be at that level plus the infection principle means everything else has got to be in that level. Because yeah. if you're only point, point 0.95 about trapdoors, you better get up. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. So in fact, you've got to be really high on the trapdoor thing to just be sitting there blithely and really high on... No flying tomahawks to, you know, just be sitting there and so on. How, how high are you on the trapdoor? Really high, but he's got to be really high. But by infection, that means everything else has got to be really high. It is. Got to be really, I'm that high on, I have a reservation at the, um, at the St. Anne's B&B. I'm that high. I'm much, I'm even higher. And here's a, here's a bottle of water. We're going to get tons and tons of knowledge, but even requiring that level of support. Of course you're not that high. I mean, how, how often, I mean, I don't know, some kind of principle, principle-y thing. How, how often do you show up at a place and you follow you at a reservation and you know? I've been staying there. Yeah, but maybe yeah. I only had a reservation for two nights instead of three. And there was, I, mean, I don't know. That kind of I, thing happens maybe I'm one not, time in a thousand. One time in ten thousand. Right? Yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, Amita, for example, would, wouldn't be able to know that kind of thing. Um, now, I do think if there was one in a thousand or one in ten thousand, um, that there was a uh, pit of crocodiles, I would get up because my life is worth a lot to me. <laughs> I just, the numbers don't seem to be, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, there are all the, for every bad one, there's a good one. Just as, like no, I realize that, but that just doesn't seem to, but then, to but the point. Then there's all the, then all the, things, all the possibilities that really are going to happen, and they're, they're all good. So I'm not sure. There's a question. Well, what matters is that, so, oh, so, it seems that you're conceding the point, but saying it doesn't, so there, 
It seems like there are two very different responses. Your response is to concede the point, oh, you can't use the proposition that you're not going to, um, it's not, you don't have a threshold um, to, to rely on that proposition. But as a matter of fact, the, everything just sort of evens out anyway. So your, your sort of state of ignorance between, you know, crocodiles versus tomahawks versus, you know, various kinds of explosions and death rays all just sort of wash out and you just get to keep doing, you know, normal looking stuff given that you don't know much of anything. I don't, I don't know, then like knowledge just, it, it just doesn't seem to be skeptical. I'm not saying you can't use it. I'm just wondering how your argument exactly goes. <coughs> everything balances out perfectly and then there's all the really good parts about getting up, but you know, want to get some coffee and so on. Just, the the claim sure. is that I have to, you have to, you have to be really high to use in, in the proposition <laughs> that there aren't the crocodiles to use it because it would be really bad if I were eaten by crocodiles. Okay. Isn't that, isn't that sorry, sorry, sorry. Things? I was getting confused about the trapdoor versus the it's a trap door that leads. No, it's a trap door that leads to the pocket. The door, I, I'm not so worried about the door in itself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. It sounds like the proposition that we aren't all cannibals. We're about to eat Jeremy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Are you done? I'm just not. Yeah, why can't I have probability one that's not okay? No, well, the, yeah. that's a thought. But that's a probability. You do, so you, you do have probability one, so you can use the thing as a premise, no problem as regards that. The problem is infection. If infection says if you having to be at one or really close to one in order to use it is required, then you have to be at one or close to one in everything by the spreading, and that's a skeptical disaster. It says that if um, um, it says that yeah, okay. Um, the principle doesn't say that in order for me to be justified right now in acting on this proposition, it has to be at a certain level. So everything else has to be at that level. What it says is, um, if there is a proposition that isn't warranted enough to, to justify you in acting, then no other proposition worse off than that is warranted enough to justify you in acting. So the antecedent of this principle isn't satisfied in this case. So in other words, if you're in a stake situation that right now drops some proposition, <laughs> makes you not be able to know some proposition, then you're not going to be. Then you can't know any proposition that's worse than that. And so this isn't the case like that, right? Because you are warranted. In, in, right. So just yeah. well, that's all. okay. Good. So that, then it's important to distinguish that principle from a related principle, which is one I was appealing to. Which was that? Yeah. So if there's we, some, we have the principle that we want, right, on the, on the last page. Okay. Um, if P is not warranted enough to justify you in fine for some five, then any proposition Q with no greater warrant than P is also not warranted enough to justify you in fine. So that's the principle we want. It's on page. Level of warrant principle? It's, yeah, no, the, no, the bare level of warrant principle. That's the one we want. Just about the counterfactual. Ah, yeah, okay. it's the second to last page. I know, we didn't number, I apologize. <laughs> Bear level. Can I close this one off? This is yes, a while. Yes, I've got like a queue of three and we have 15 minutes. So, Kian, 
exactly how you're choosing uh, having the fact that it might be he as a reason to do things. So you, you're, because that's, that's sort of serving, th things about when that can happen and when that can't happen by serving as your premises. And I want to understand what, when, when it can happen, that the fact that it might be is my reason to do blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to start with just a question. Do, do you think that, could it ever happen that I know P, but the fact that it might be that not P is my reason for blah? Or is it, you know, like, is, is, you know, is warranted enough to justify me in lying or whatever? Is that, can that... Say it again? If, I, if, if I do in fact know that P, could the fact that might P be, be my reason for doing something? It might not be. Might not be, yeah, sorry. The fact that it might not be, 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 be a reason for doing a certain thing? Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I think it's possible. I, I to, so, so it seems like you have this principle that you can't, it can't simultaneously be that the fact that P is my reason for doing this, and the fact that might not P is my reason for doing this other thing. In, 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 so I should say, in kind of the ordinary kinds of cases we're talking about, but there are going to be some bizarre cases where that breaks down. But yes. Well, so you, you, you talked about two different kinds of cases. There's the cases on page two or something where there's the sort of the si a single decision in play and you're, you're weighing the things against one another or something like that. And then there's these other kinds of cases that you talk about when you're talking about the simultaneous decisions cases where, you, where the guy's reason for cooking is that his wife's not coming over and his reason for not inviting his brother is that she might things like that. So it was, it was the second kind of cases that I'm interested in, where you've got two doing these two different things. Yeah. So, I, and you, so, you, so, you, so you, you appeal to this speech that, is, that does indeed sound strange, as Jane exactly pointed out. I mean, I think it just sounds strange because it sort of embeds P and might not P, which is... Do you not think the third-person variant sounds strange? I think those sound, and I think the third-person variant of things, you know, John thinks that P and that it might not, for him, be the P is also a strange. Wait, no, 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 no. John thinks if John John thinks that P is in parentheses, and also, but that is not part of what he thinks, and it might not be the case. And no, it's possible that it might not for him to be the P. Well, but the other one's fine. But right, that's the that's the that's the fine one, right? So no, John thinks it's fine. P and it might be for John to not be fine. Right? That's fine. Yeah, but John. Right. Yeah, that's the third person variant. That's no, the third person variant is where you're describing his reasoning. You're no, he's doing this yeah, for the reason that P. Yeah, in the reasoning case, but in the but in the in the P, and it might not be that P case. The 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 test is going to be whether that still sounds bad when P, and it might not be for John that P. That's uh, well, we, we got sidetracked somehow. You, right. I think you, so that sounds perfectly fine. So that means P, and it might not be that P. The problem with that is going to be. That evidence is pragmatic, but you sure. but in the third-person variant of the reasons weighing things, it still sounds bad. Okay. But there's a, there's a question whether the the things that sound bad. So so this particular things that you think, namely that you can't simultaneously use these things as reasons for doing stuff, um, and you're you're using stuff about things sounding bad as evidence. So I'm, I just wanted to register my agreement with Jane. I'm, I'm not quite sure. What, I feel like the sounding bad facts will, if they're will will. will generalized to stronger things that you don't believe. Anyway, I'm, I'm just wondering about cases like this, just a case of that, you know, there's no interesting stakes thing going, everything's kind of boring. Um, on the one hand, you know, I'm leaving the house, 
uh, and it's raining, I'm gonna take my umbrella. And someone has asked me the question, might it be not raining? And I'm contemplating, should I say yes or no? And I'm thinking, hmm, the fact that it's, uh, and in fact it might not be raining, there's a chance that it isn't, and that seems like, that seems like a reason to do this, say no. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, I see. Uh, it's raining, so it seems like a reason to do this, take the umbrella, same time. So it seems like a you, you were always working with cases where, as it were, the, the way in which it, the fact that might might be is, is acting as a reason is kind of a, is a way that would be undercut if you had strong enough strength of. Well, I don't know. The, the, this is just a different kind of case, anyway, to your, your case. I'm not quite sure how to characterize the difference. Yeah. And I I can't see how anything in your model um, would count against that. But I, but I'm still thinking the speeches will sound weird. I, I'm doing. I'm saying no because. It, Taking the umbrella because it's raining, but I'm saying no. I'm saying yes. That yes because. Uh, of course, there are pragmatic factors, right? So typically, an assertion that it might be the not be implies that it's a serious possibility. No, no. My friend is an epistemologist. Oh, okay. he's, he's like, <laughs> is, is, is that is this one? Yeah, no, I guess. It's a dismissible chance that not being. Are you thinking P would be a reason to? So P would be a reason to assert it's not the case that it might be? No, I'm just thinking, I, I'm, I'm not thinking well, it's 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 right. that it might not be the P. <coughs> assert that it might not be the P. That's what you're thinking. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether, whether it would or not. I'm just thinking the speech sounds odd. I'm saying if I'm doing this because it's raining, I'm doing this other thing because it might not be. So I'm thinking. So you're both asserting P and that it might not be the P? Yeah. So. Yeah, and so that is odd, but we have a certain story about why that kind of thing is odd is typically because one's implying it's a significant chance. Right, so I think once you bear in mind that it's an epistemologist who just wants to know is your credence less than one sort of thing, and that's what it might be the not P really expresses. Um, but I think it's not quite as bad. Do you think that helps at all? I mean, okay, so, uh, so are there, cases, there are cases where I know the P, even though there's a subset. Sorry, I don't know what's it. Is significant itself then defined in terms of knowledge? We, we don't think that there's. Sorry, it's it's defined in terms of whether uh, probability is idle when it comes to what you should do. But, but does that include things like actions like saying yes when someone says, what's the probability? You know, giving this number when someone says, what's the probability? I think yes, yeah. yeah. I think so, yeah. So in that case, it's all, it's, it's, it's all, it is significant in the case, in the case where, where, where it's students. When your epistemologist friend is asking you, is the probability zero or very small, then it does matter to what you should do. It's not like Let's see, so this is the probability of it might be the not being in the probability of P, right? Is, is the, the chance that not P is significant. And that has to do with whether you can use P as a reason. I still think you can use P as a reason. Uh, there would be a, probability, a problem if uh, you could use P as a reason to assert it can't be the not P. But I don't think P is a reason to assert it can't be the not P. So I think you can use P as a reason to do whatever you want, but you also have, you're right, you know that it might be the not P. And that's a reason to do some things, like assert that it might be the not P. 
Uh, and I, do, I admit it sounds kind of funny until you bear in mind that we're all musicologists, and I'm not going to be misleading you by implying that it's the chance of P prevents P from being used as a reason. Can we can we go on to another? Yeah, Yankees. Yes, I have a question. It's a relevant question, but the thing is, if P might not be the case, or it might not be P, could be a reason for me not to act as if P. Then, the, given the high, the stakes are high. Then uh, my reason not to act as if P, maybe just because P might be, it might not be the case, right? In that case, then, but given, <coughs> given the parameters, I can know that P and P might not be the case. Then the reason my not acting on P only indicated that P might be the force. Doesn't mean that I don't know that P. You're In the high stakes case. Yes. That's true. But then, so that means practical encroachment doesn't work. Because, well, I still, uh, in the high stake situation, I still know that P. No. Well, I, I do. I mean, remember this. You, you have two, pro, uh, two statements that are consistent. One is that I know that P. The other is P might not be, be the case. And I use the latter as the reason for not acting on P. So my not acting on P only indicated the latter is true, but the latter is true doesn't prevent the former to be for, uh, to be true. You understand me? Yeah, I know that P is the is the first, is the former, right? And P might be the force. My force is the latter, and the latter could be my reason for not acting P. But I mean, so you're going to be denying the the knowledge action linking principle? That's why. That's okay, so. We got an argument for it. Right. So I mean, I can give you the argument for that principle. It, it, it takes kind of a while. I mean, don't do it. So I'm not going to do it. But like, so I mean, you, yeah, you, I mean, you, 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 you can deny. You force is the reason for not acting. I agree. But I mean, if this principle is true, the knowledge action principle, then, then you, in that situation, you, you can act on P, and so that can't, P is going to be a reason for doing this thing, and it can't be defeated by the chance that not P, so you, got, you just have the principle. Now, you, you can deny the principle, but I mean, then we'll have to just start arguing with each other. And I, when the, high, the stakes are high, definitely you will consider the chance of, of P might not be the case. Right, and that's then, why. Then, then, that, and that's why you don't act on a CP. Right, and, and, that's according, the and, and according to the knowledge action principle, that's why you don't know in that high stakes case. Okay. You, that's only indicated that you, you, you might, you will consider the chance of P minus Right, and because of the knowledge action principle, that, that means you don't know, know that P. Right. So according to the pragmatic encroachment, the higher standards that, the, the higher, the heightened evidence requirements for action in high stakes context feed back onto knowledge. And so you're denying that knowledge action link, which is fine and you know, open to you to do, but now we have to actually argue about whether the knowledge action link is true. Okay. Uh, so we have three more, probably not enough time for all three, but we'll try. Okay. You're done? Okay, then we might. Michael and then John. Yeah, so I, I was gonna try to press Jer Jeremy's worry um, by arguing you at, that, uh, by trying to argue that the bare level of warrant principle is too, too weak. Uh, so, Take, take two cases. Um, I, I'm crossing the street in both, so it's, it, it's a high cost, right? 
right? I've got to have really strong evidence. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter. In either case, I need strong evidence, right? Because I'm going to die otherwise. So, you know, in one case, I get the strong evidence. I look carefully. I cross the street. So it looks like, you know, on the bare level of warrant principle, that doesn't raise standards, right, for, for everything. Um, I mean, I think that's the way you were trying to get out of, out of his view. But then, you know, I go to the next street, and I don't look carefully. And now the, the standards are, are up for all of, and now I don't know, I, I had Cheerios for breakfast, if, I, if I'm not at least at that level of warrant, right? Yeah. So as long so, as you're closing your eyes crossing the street, or just kind of like having your head down? Yeah, just, what, whatever. I mean, I, I don't have, yeah, I don't have the warrant I need. So you don't have a super high position for, for the proposition now, right? Exactly so, yeah. So, so now, so... Yes, yeah, so my, my claim so now is no, that's no, weird. But it's, you don't have a super high level of warrant for that now. So now what you're saying right. is because you're now, yeah. now yeah. No, no proposition that has a lower level of warrant than that can be known. But it's not that high a level of warrant. So Yeah, but I, I think it's strange that the, that the standards go up just because I did something epistemically bad. It seems like the standards ought to be set by a pragmatic context. How have the standards by, gone up? I mean, because uh, you always required not so... <laughs> yeah. It's always been the case that anything less than a not so high level of warrant wouldn't be enough for knowledge. So the fact that it still is, isn't If it's fast. Yeah, maybe slightly <coughs> modify the case. So the epistemic standards required for me to cross the street are pretty darn high, right? Yeah. Now, now let's say I don't cover my eyes or anything, but I just do whatever it takes to get my epistemic position just below that threshold. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm being just irresponsible enough to be not justified in, in crossing the street. Now, that, that, now anything that... Um, falls below that threshold is now going to not count as knowledge for me. I think that's you know, yeah. yeah, I, I think that's true. But the odd thing is that it's not a graceful kind of degradation. If you're, if you're right above, that, or if you reach it or are right above, then it, it puts no constraints at all on your knowledge of other propositions. But as soon as it gets a little bit below, it starts constraining everything. That's the strange structure of the principle. That, and I think that's what Michael <coughs> yeah. So it's not that it's counterintuitive results anymore. No, that, the thing I just said was supposed to be a counterintuitive. No, 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 but it's not <laughs> that what I mean by counterintuitive, like case results, like I shouldn't be, like, like in your original cases. It's, yes, it's, yeah, it's a different problem. Yeah, so this is kind of, this theor kind of a theoretical thing. I, I think I can, not being responsible I think I can live with that. I couldn't, I don't think, I, I think I couldn't live with the original results, so um, I think I could live with this kind of theoretical Okay, last question, John. I just wanted to say something connecting this discussion to the, uh, Stuff earlier on the um, <laughs> on, on, on Pascal. If you include the range of actions to include various mental acts, then at least on the practical adequacy thing, you, there's a risk of sceptical consequences. So if I'm 0.98, my level of warrant doesn't justify me in being subjectively certain. It does justify me in hoping to improve my epistemic position. But if I conditionalize then the range of appropriate mental acts uh, shifts. And so if you include the range of acts as in, 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 in the range of things available, as, as was sort of going on in the, uh, in, the, in the Pascalian setting, then at least using the original uh, conditionalization test, uh, we, you get widespread skepticism. So I was just wondering how the new, you know, we, we, we can, I mean, it's a little vaguer than new, the new 
theoretical setting, but we can still ask questions like, does my strength of epistemic position, is it, uh, does it stop me using P as a reason for being certain that P, for example? Do you think P is a reason for being, just independently of pragmatic conclusion, do you think P is a reason to be certain that P? Well, let's, let's, as a warm-up, that I'm in excruciating pain is a reason for being certain that I'm conscious. I mean, if we just... So if it can be a reason for being certain that I'm conscious, I, it ought to be a reason for being certain that I'm in pain. But, but, but that's a pretty strong claim then for any... Uh, it looks like Falbus is going to have a very hard time... There are all sorts of ones about certainty, hope. I mean, the, you see, the general, the general thing is that by the conditionalization test, if you include <coughs> those... Various sorts of mental acts, and I, I listed a few, being certain, hoping for more evidence, hoping your epistemic position improves. There's a whole bunch of things. I can, isn't this an argument uh, that Falbus can't have very many reasons? Because if you have P as your reason, it looks like that's a reason to be certain that P is probably not going to be defeated. And so you ought to be certain, but you shouldn't be certain, so you apparently don't have P as a reason, so you only have reasons when you're certain. I was just asking, yeah. all I was pointing so, out was on the practical adequacy thing, if you include mental acts, you get skeptical disaster. And I think it's an interesting question how, in the new framework, those. I guess I don't see yet why there's skeptical disaster looming just because you're including mental acts, which we do. I mean, if you include certainty, I could see that, but I don't think there is a reason um, to be certain. Well, if I'm. Point eight, I, I, should, I, I should hope. Just use the practical adequacy test and have, say, hoping for more evidence, hoping for an improvement condition. As things are, I should hope to that my strength of position improves. But conditional on P, I shouldn't hope that my percent. If you think, if, if, if you do what you were doing, where you conditionalize and then ask whether you should conditional hope. Conditional on P? I, I, um just condition, I mean, on, on the old way of doing it. I know you're not doing it that, and then we've got, we've, we've transposed it. I'm just putting uh, it on the old way of doing it. If you just conditionalize and then ask what you should do. If you conditionalize, you're up to one. Should you hope for more evidence then? No. Or should you hope that your epistemic position improves even further? No. And you shouldn't assert it might be not P either. Right. So you, you can do all sorts of. You're practically inadequate with respect. But conditional on your on the epistemic position being one, you don't want to improve your epistemic position. But conditional on P. Well, they they, they had a certain gloss on. What's that? Yeah, you're still unconditionally on. It's still P that you're wondering about whether that's a reason for. In the old framework, what you do is condition is in effect conditionalize on P and then see in that, in that updated framework what, uh, which of the mental acts you should prefer. And then if there's a mismatch between the mental acts you should prefer having conditionalized on P and the mental acts you should prefer in your actual epistemic state, then there will be a lack of practical adequacy. And it doesn't seem to me very difficult to come up with mental acts where, where you'll get that. So kind of I prefer P and having 0.9 credence to P and having point eight credence. Right, so I prefer that, that one state to the other. This is even conditional on P. I mean, um, it's even in, in the situation where P has one. I prefer P and having point nine credence to P and having point eight credence. Well, my thing was, you know, hope to have an improvement in your 
Well, I mean, if I prefer, I mean, I we, we, then I prefer, yeah. I, I, uh, if I prefer that to that, then I hope, then, um, I hope that this one is true instead of that one. So that so sounds like a hope for, and since I only in fact have point eight credence, then I'm hoping for something better. A useful analogy is the old uh, counterexamples to the Ramsey test for conditionals, right? So uh, if my wife is cheating on me, I'll, I, I'll never know it. It's perfectly reasonable for me to have on my wife is cheating on me, high conditional probability that I don't know that my wife is cheating on me. I think that kind of thing is... Yes, I, I just... The word old gloss is on, does that gap between your... The gap between that, your, your position and perfect position make a practical difference. And all I'm saying is there are old ways of glossing that gap where you imagine what you should do uh, with perfect position and imagine what it should do as it is and then see if that makes a practical difference. And on, all, all I'm saying is on that gloss, it seems that it does make a practical difference. Now, maybe there are other glosses on which it doesn't, no? We weren't including mental acts in the old way either. So. But, right, so the old oh, I'm just trying to connect it to the Pascalian thing, because the whole point with the Pascalian <laughs> thing is, you were is that people were including you. I was just interested in seeing how it played out when you did. Yeah. All right, let's stop there and continue over drinks. Let's thank our speakers and our commentary. Thank you. And let's, can we also thank Charity who did all the work to organize this. Work?